0: Welcome to The Logistics Tribe. I'm Boris Felgentreer, founder of The Logistics Tribe, and today's episode is a deep dive into the current ocean freight crisis, which is one of the most important business topics of this year and maybe even of next year. A lot's been said about this topic, but today's show is certainly one of the most clear and comprehensive analyses that you will find on this topic anywhere. that's what I think. <laughs> and that's because our guest today is Jochen Gutschmidt, who spent his entire career of 30-plus years in the industry on both sides of the aisle. Uh, he spent two decades at Maersk and another decade leading the ocean freight team at Nestle, the largest food company in the world. He's now at Sea Intelligence, a boutique maritime intelligence and analytics company, so it's hard to find someone that is closer to that space than Jochen is. Our host today is Jonah McIntyre, whom many of you may know from one of our latest Logistics Tribe podcast episodes, where I talk to him about his oftentimes very contrarian views on the world of logistics. If you haven't already done so, tune in to that episode as well. But today, it's Jonah as a host, and he brings you Jochen Gutschmidt. Enjoy.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Logistics Tribe. My name is Jonah McIntyre, and today's guest is Jochen Gutschmidt. Jochen and I are going to be speaking about ocean freight procurement He'll be sharing some of his insights, having spent decades in the industry, first on the carrier side with an impressive list of rotations through the world, and then later at Nestle doing global freight procurement. Okay, before we start talking about market conditions, I think those who haven't heard your name before would just like to hear, what is your background, Johan?
2: Right. Yeah, thanks, Jonah. Thanks for having me, first of all. Um, and then thanks for the quick intro. Yeah, I think it's it's true. Um, just half a year ago, someone uh, made me aware of the fact that I've been in the industry for over 30 years now. So that was a little bit of a shock, I have to say. Okay. Yeah, um, decades indeed. <laughs> no, but the truth is, uh, I, I have been in, in ocean shipping essentially all my life. I, I started my career as an apprentice with Hapag Lloyd for three years. So that was a marvelous time, really down to the basics. And uh, That was in the 80s, really. Um and, and then I started um after that I, I, I started what I what I think was a pretty uh international career. I started in South America, a little bit in the tramp business, then went back to uh, went back to Europe, um, back to the liner industry and, and I joined Mask with and and, and with Big Blue. I, I then remained for more than two decades really, uh, all around the place, really, in, in, in Europe, in Copenhagen, in in Hong Kong, Singapore, um, Saudi Arabia as well. I had a stint. And then, after just over two decades in in ocean shipping, I kind of I jumped the fence, and uh, because you know how it is, right? The grass is always greener on the other side, as they say. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> and um, which, I in the beginning, I thought was true. Anyway, but um, then I joined uh, Nestle, a big um, um, a big food and beverage uh, company or packaged food, packaged food, as they as they call it as well. Uh, here in Switzerland, and their world headquarters in um, in Vive. And there was leading the, the global um, logistics procurement function for, for just short of a decade as well. So apparently I planned in decades. Um, so I've been on the supply, on the supplying side, on the shipping side, as well as on, on, on the shipper side. So shipping line and shipper side. So I know both sides pretty well. And then um, last year we we uh, we got together with sea intelligence and um, which is I think a fairly well known um, a provider of maritime intelligence and analytics, and uh, we started an advisory function, and the timing was apparently fairly good. Um, trying to help, based on that experience, trying to help um, global shippers or global market participants in um, in riding this wave during this, you know, what one could call crazy time. So, but basically, end to end advisory on procurement, operational management improvement, execution, the whole. Uh, the whole end-to-end process on, on international ocean shipping. So that's what I, that's what I do.
1: Okay. So you've had this career that's gone all over the globe with carrier operations, then procurement. And now you made this fortuitous switch to advisory in a period when in the last 18 months, advisory on ocean procurement must be through the roof, right?
2: Uh, it, it is. And, you know, I, I think, um, you know, if I, if I recap the last, uh, Whatever six six eight months or so, uh, a little more that is um, really the most frequent question that we get is you know when is all this over and 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 obviously that uh, you know that's a question that's very difficult to answer uh, and I think nobody has the answers really I think we're going to talk uh, you know about that a little bit during this podcast. Um, but but that is the most frequent and the most well difficult or perhaps even unrealistic or whatever question I don't know what fits best there. But it's but but that's the that's the big question out there. When is this over? When do we get to you know whatever you can call normal? Um, although that's a difficult term as well. Normal.
1: So people are coming to you. They're asking when are things going to return to normal? Before we get into that, this acute pressure, I want to f- hear a little more about the scene. So. For people who aren't intimately following the ocean freight procurement space, we can we know that there's capacity crunch. We know that there's pricing pressure. But what is this? Is this a long-term trend that's been playing out over a decade or decades? Is it a mid-term trend? Is it something that's really acute and related to the pandemic? You know, help us understand the big picture here uh, before we get into the details.
2: Right. Um, yeah, good question, Jonah. Um, I, I think in a nutshell, really, so what we, what we are experiencing right now, what, what the market participants are going through, essentially is really a predominantly a COVID-induced uh, problem um, that, that just takes very, very long to kind of ease itself. Um, so really, the root cause is the, the, uh, the, 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 the epi- epidemic developments that started uh, last year, and uh, and and that's what we are trying to get out of, or trying to make peace with, or trying you know trying to to find our space. Um, but that is only the last year, so that's kind of ten percent of the last decade. Um, uh, and and we have seen well similar situations in twenty fifteen. Um, it also depends a little bit, you know, what problems we are talking about. Is it congestion? Because there are lots of attributes that that that. Uh, you know that this situation has um it is it is disruptive overall but uh, so which areas are we talking about so 2015 we had the the labor crisis on the west coast as you may remember uh, and we had another you know a couple of other black swan events I, events i think we call them big you know the Hunjin bankruptcy the cyber attack with uh with line um and and so on and so forth so we had plenty of crises but uh, otherwise, if you if you want me to allude on that, you know what we have seen uh, and what the trends and what the focus area were in, in the last decade is is that what you're after uh, as well? Or?
1: Well, well, let me try to take it from another angle. So, let's say that you've got your procurement officer, your supply chain officer, and you go in to visit their you know, supply chain doctor, and the doctor sits him down and says, "All right, so w- w- what's the pain? Why are okay. you here? What are, you, what are your symptoms?" Right. right? And okay. <laughs> what I would, I guess, let's start with what are some of the things that are the acute pressures that are being placed on these people? Uh, you know, is it is it cost? Is it things moving, not moving? Right. Uh, is it risk? You know, what what would they say are their main symptoms? Right. Okay.
2: I got you. Yeah. So I think there are there are pre- predominantly two things really that that um, you know from a shipper's perspective, from an importer's or exporter's perspective. Uh, there are, I think, two key elements that that prevent people from sleeping at night right now. One is operational disruption, so supply chains are broken. Um, nobody knows when is when our orders ship, when do they arrive, when can they get on the shelf. So just really physical disruptions, delays, etc. So the physical reality of of today's supply chain or physical supply ch- uh, chain environment that's one thing on the on the one side, and on the other side is it is an, an amazing inflation um, in the area of uh, ocean freight, um, but logistics expenditure overall. It's uh, it's not only ocean freight, but obviously ocean is, I think, the key, you know, take center stage of what we are discussing right now. So it's these two elements. It's terrible service um, at, at amazingly increased rates if you compare it to just a year ago. So... That's, that's why, why people spend a lot of time in PowerPoint making smart slides uh, and, and try to explain in an attempt to explain to their leadership what is going on. Those are the two elements.
1: That's pretty concrete. So a supply chain officer, or logistics director, or procurement director, their two concrete pain points are going to be a breakdown in the physical flow of goods or a significant increase in their ocean freight rates. That's something I think everyone can relate to right now. I guess the next question is: is to, to what extent this is really outside the norm of our industry? Because right, our, our our industry always has something to talk about. It's it's fuel, you know. It's oil rates going up. It's a, a lack of capacity. It's Brexit. It's this and that. So are, are we really talking about a real change to the industry? Something that has sort of never been seen before? Or are we talking about the flow, give and take, and supply demand? Mm-hmm. Um, that would normally be observed in the industry. And what's your Mm view? And that's not to say that I don't believe there's pain here. I just, let's try to quantify it a little more. You know,
2: ocean shipping, you know, it's vessels going from, you know, from ports in one geographic area and then sailing towards another geographic area, um, which is a trade lane. Um, So, you know, common trade lanes is Asia, Europe or Trans-Pacific from Asia to North America. Those are the largest ones or the most significant ones or the most prominent ones, perhaps. Um, and, of course, every market has, you know, every market has their own dynamics. So there is not this one number, you know, that that depicts how, how prices have increased in every possible um, global trade. Perhaps there is an average, but averages are, are obsolete in this context, I suppose. But, but uh, let's look at the, the, the two key trades that, are, that, are, that people are mainly focusing on right now, uh, which is from Asia to Europe, as well as from Asia to, uh, to North America. Um, you know, if we look at the the spot market, you know, which brings me to another um, thing. I don't want to make it complicated, but obviously, there, you know, there are folks who are in the so called spot market. You know, they are they have a very dynamic trading environment, which means a lot of ad hoc, possibly short term trades that they do. And uh, you know, as a subs- as a as a consequence of this, they have to enable the, 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 the supply chain. So people who buy on the spot market can, you know, can pay prices that are as as high as eight hundred percent compared to what they what they were a, a year ago. So anywhere between six and eight hundred percent. At the end of the day, it really depends also on 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 which particular corridor even you do business. So those are obviously gigantic increases, but you know it's. Only roughly half, I think, of the folks um, who actually transport things are in this segment. The other segment are contract customers, you know, who have their annual service contracts, again, on both trades, right? It doesn't, you know, there is not a big difference there. And for those people who continuously ship, uh, uh, you know, goods uh, uh, across the oceans with with service contracts uh, there, I think a a, a point of orientation is that they're, their freight rates probably doubled, roundabout doubled. D- Double. Um, wow. if if you compare it to the
1: pre. And that's doubling, as in they were renegotiated, or the or in the next contract wave.
2: Well, you do this year after year in a way, right? So, um, you know, before a tender or before a contract is, or after a contract is before the next contract, right? So this is ongoing. Th- this is an ongoing thing. And
1: got it. Okay. And
2: you know, from from people that I spoke to, um. That have these regular contracting periods on an annual basis or so, or so um, uh, you know, their their expenditures, their costs went up around about hundred percent. Of course, also there it it, it can deviate and and, and maybe really, uh, you know, different from customer to, to to customer. But that seems to be kind of a, a, a rough number that that you know that's what I'm hearing anyway. So doubling, which is significant.
1: (laughs) Uh, It's amazing. I'm having a hard time imagining the budgets of these companies, which frankly underlined the whole industry. But let me, without taking us too far off the path, let me just switch views for a second and say, for these interactions, these contracts and these spot rates, there's got to be somebody else on the other side, the the counterparty, whether that's the freight forwarder or the asset operating carrier. And I'm curious, how is it for them as... Are their costs actually increasing in line with these rate increases, or is this just bumper profits driven by excess demand that they can uh, capitalize on with, you know, enlarged rates? So essentially, I'm asking the question, uh, is this a crisis on the other side, or is this just massive opportunity for forwarders and asset operators?
2: Right. Uh, Good question. Uh, You have to differentiate between the actual, the physical asset providers or the shipping lines that, that operate the vessels. And uh, I think you mentioned forwarders or NVOCCs, as we call them, the the non-vessel operator common car- uh, common carriers. You know those who buy ocean freight and resell. Um, so for for shipping companies, I think it is fairly straightforward. Um, the, the these this incremental revenue goes straight to their bottom line, as it is evident from their annual or quarterly reports that um, that we have the pleasure of of, of reading. Um, as, as they come out. So there is a lot of evidence that it's really a golden year um, for, for shipping companies. Although I think in all fairness, it needs to be mentioned that uh, their costs are going up as well. And, and and I guess we will be talking about this like congestion and so on. I mean, these are incredibly costly disruptions for shipping companies as well. So not every dollar that they make incrementally compared to pre, pre-COVID uh, times. Is is going straight into the bank, so their their costs are also up, right? Um, and for for those brokers, for forwarders or NBOCCs, it, it you know it depends a little bit. You know the the nature of a broker is they you know it, it, perhaps somewhat simplified. You know they always make their buck. You know whether the market goes up or the market goes down, right? I mean they always have this 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 cut, and uh, frankly. Uh, I think also most of the forwarders, their annual reports or quarterly uh, quarterly reports um, suggest um, very healthy business development, both in terms of volume and in terms of profitability. So I think they, uh, I, I don't want to call them beneficiaries uh, of this, um, but they're also in a good space at this moment.
1: Right. No judgment, of course, on the fact that they've had these bumper profits. That's just market conditions. Mm-hmm. but. I do wonder what they do with them now. So is this fueling you know, M&A activity? Is there going to be further consolidation uh, because of it? Is it just going back out as dividends, you know, it's, it's that, that old thing that we used to do when things were profitable? Is it being used to pay down debt? Uh, is it going into greening out the, the fleets? You know, The ocean freight industry has a long way to go to become carbon neutral. Where where is this money being reinvested? Yeah, uh,
2: you know that's 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 a good question. Um, honestly, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, but but here, you know, I clearly want to to label this. You know, I'm not a shipping company, right? So I don't have to make these decisions. But let's see what we can see. You know, let's look at the uh, let's say the, the the market facts that are visible uh, for for everybody. So people are uh, and 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 that leads me perhaps later on to 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 another problem but obviously people are ordering ships again so you know last year um essentially nobody has ordered ships because everybody was uh, especially at the beginning as we you know as the, uh, as the as the crisis um got really really serious and and trade almost came to a standstill one could say or in china anyway so nobody was even thinking about uh, ordering vessels and now i think um um, i don't have the exact numbers offhand right now but but i think uh the order books of of yards uh, are a chocker block um again so so obviously there's uh, although you know carriers never really had <laughs> had apparently any problem with buying uh, ships even before the crisis or before this this uh, the, the current market situation but the order books are full and it is even, I think, somewhat problematical to to, to buy ships and to, to, to place orders at this moment. Um, so they're doing this and obviously, um, you know, this is very modern tonnage. I think just a couple of days ago, Mask announced that they are ordering some vessels that are, that can run on methanol to your point of, you know, green shipping. So obviously, it, this migration, we have already seen it with um, uh, over the last years. So this is completely unrelated to, to the pandemic. Um, but there is a lot of pressure on, on the shipping industry to become greener, let's say, or even green, or you know, CO two neutral or greenhouse gas emissions neutral, by I think fifty, Most of the commitments are of twenty fifty, I believe, and that will obviously have a cost tag as well throughout the operation, not just the vessels, but also terminals, etc. So the whole infrastructure will will have to 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 move on those points, and that will cost some money. So I think it's a mixed bag. Um, uh, for forwarders, i'm not quite sure i mean mon- many of them are very acid light so um what what you know could be interesting to to to, to both shipping companies as well as uh, the forwarding space is the consolidation that you've mentioned m a activity um we we are seeing this in the forwarding space um dHL has just taken over hillebrand uh and, and before that agility so DS, you know uh agility was absorbed by by DSV, if I'm not uh, mistaken, so there has been some activity, um, that I, but I'm not sure whether that is really, uh, you know, due to the the, the financial liberty these people have as a result uh, have as a result of the pandemic. I I doubt that, but it's not something I could I could say it's not my area of expertise, but but shipping companies definitely are are investing, I think. Consolidation on the large, uh, within the top 10 segment, or even top 15 segment, well, top 15 maybe, but top 10 segment, I I, I do not expect. Perhaps further down in in, in the volume tree, uh, maybe the one or the other carrier will be picked up. Uh, but otherwise, I don't expect any significant significant movement there.
1: So what we've got here, described earlier, is we've got these two pain points. Uh, the physical flow of goods is slowing down or becoming unreliable the cost of physically flowing those goods has increased you know hundred to eight hundred percent for ocean freight which is, which is substantial right. most of that is going over to profits for the asset operators uh, maybe not so much for the forwarders uh, now you did mention that you think this was all triggered by the pandemic and not by larger trends so I uh, like to double click a bit on that what is the mechanic exactly the, me- the mechanisms that you go from a you know novel virus and a pandemic that turns into a capacity crunch mm-hmm. and then evolve to this
2: right well there, there was an evolution I think right um so how, how did it all start so um, first quarter last year when when the pandemic uh, broke out and and uh, you know China, Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but just for the sake of making the point, so uh, China essentially closed down trade, almost came to an end. All the factories were closed. Um, so, you know, as a result of of uh, of of a demand in free fall, you could say uh, carriers significantly significantly reduced the capacity that. Uh, that was deployed uh, again, mainly coming out of China because China is the factory of the world, right? So, uh, proportionally, the biggest part of the, the maritime assets are deployed to and from China. Um, so, you know, that lasted a couple of months. In the meanwhile, the the you know the the pandemic also made its way to to North America, to Europe. Essentially, I, mean, I don't have to tell you that everybody knows that uh, uh, it, it went truly global. Um, with impact on consumption in Europe for instance in North America nobody was going out no, nothing happened so so you know just to exaggerate a little bit let's say trade almost came to an end um, or to a standstill so volume was very low and then later in summer um, you know as people as, as we came out of the first uh, terrible wave of, of infection and 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 disruption people, all of a sudden started to spend money again. And if I say people, I have to say uh, people in North America. You know, all of a sudden there was an amazing run to all the DIY stores in in North America, I think, you know, where people started home improvement projects and and other things because they, they couldn't go to restaurants, they couldn't travel, right? So there was... There was, there was a lot of cash, apparently, um, at their disposal, and, and they decided to spend it. As I understand, they do quite frequently. So it's not necessarily a saving nation, I think. <laughs> I don't know. But you, you may know more about that.
1: Well, it's funny, but you mentioned uh, something that's really structural. So if you look at how the U.S. responded to the pandemic, there were these stimulus checks. They that were, that were, came early. They came frequently. There were multiple of them. And they were entirely focused on consumption. It was no one intended for those to go into savings, right, or retirement funds. It was supposed to be spent. And also, you had a more flexible labor market than in Europe. So everyone who's a cook or a waiter in the US spent some time in Amazon fulfillment centers, right, because they were out of work. And the intention was they'd just go work someplace else. Whereas in Europe, you've got these furlough schemes. And uh, the money from the recovery fund isn't even going to be dispersed until 2022, in most cases, so it's just different paradigm.
2: Uh, yes, you, you are absolutely right in saying that. And um, so demand in Europe went down. It, also, you know, it was really, it was coming to a halt almost, right? And, but when, when people started uh, spending again, it was nothing compared to the US. So uh, the, the, the growth levels, the market or business growth levels we see in Europe in terms of volume, in terms of containerized trade is, is back to normal growth levels that we had even before the pandemic. Um, so the pro- the problem which is like two three percent or whatever in volume terms um, however the, the situation in North America was totally different there we had you know we saw single di- uh, sorry double digit uh, growth ratios 12 13, 14 percent growth in volume terms and this came all of a sudden. Um, and uh, coming back to you know what you know what's going on what has caused all this so so in summer last year when when demand, uh, started to increase again, and it increased rapidly and intensively. Um, you know, containers weren't in the right space. Vessels had to be, you know, reintroduced. So there was a wave of demand that the available capacity or the shipping companies, let's say, were really challenged to deal with. And um, and this is where these disruptions come from. So, you know, they at, at this point, any conceivable capacity that is available, any any container ship um, or even semi-container ships that, that are in the available uh, that are available in the market are deployed. So, which is also which is different than, than before. So, the capacity deployed right now is is much bigger in nominal terms than it was before the pandemic. But it was this this amazing um, um, this amazing demand that that started in around about summer last year. In North America, that really disrupted and challenged um, the entire infrastructure, from vessels to ports to to to, to equipment, uh, because obviously you know how it is. That's the downside of containers, right? I mean, they are great, a great invention, but there is, you know, you need to deal with empty equipment, right? So you have, you know, all the imports that are coming into the U.S. Sooner or later, they will have to, you know, you fill them with agri and whatever comes out of the, out of North America, but. But the vast majority of containers are going back to Asia empty, so they, you know, they can be filled again. And uh, in in North America itself, you also had lots of disruptions, uh, terminal closures, you had factory closures, uh, uh, and so the time that equipment needs to to arrive to be, you know, unpacked, unstuffed, as we say, turned around and sent back uh, to to Asia empty, that time. All of a sudden, took took much longer because there was more disruption along the way, and and this is part of this um, of this problem that we're having. And the terminals were also disrupted because of uh, COVID outbreaks, labor shortages, uh, shortages, and and many many other things that prevented them from handling the incoming ships at a pace at which you know which they would have to handle them, so to speak. Um, and I think right now there is, I think there are 40 vessels in front of uh, Los Angeles, Long Beach, 40 vessels, 40 container vessels waiting to enter the port or waiting berth so they can offload their, their stuff. So all this is... Okay,
1: okay, but just put that in context for me. 40 vessels out of a base of how many? Like how many would it be on a normal Thursday a year ago or, or two years ago?
2: Uh, I, I would say none. I, I would say, essentially, oh, wow. I would say okay. no. So it's yeah. zero. Okay. Uh, so there should be no wait. I mean, A, occasionally there could be a day or so, but generally speaking, um, vessels, they will arrive and they will take their berth because everything has been planned through. Uh, there, So there shouldn't be any uh, structural waiting time, uh, let's oh, say. 40 but, to uh, zero. Wow. But, but we, we clearly see this. And, and these disruptions and these delays... Um, they're eating up a significant amount of uh, capacity that is that is deployed, um, and you know this can this can go up to up to ten percent, ten percent roundabout, give and take, ten percent of the total capacity deployed is kind of absorbed by all these disruptions, these delays, and so on. And obviously, this is then capacity that is missing.
1: Wow, that's that's such an interesting point that you've got. You've got this mismatch of supply and demand where you have, you have too much demand anyway, and uh in place of just being able to run as yeah. you know as, as full as possible, you're saying that with because of these sort of congestion issues, it even reduces the carrying capacity of the supply because the ships get there, they're laden they're they instead of turning them around and bringing them back with uh with more goods on the, the their sailing loops, they have to just hold anchor, I guess, off of the uh, off the coast waiting for the port to have berths for them. That's that's super fascinating.
2: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But then again, also, I think it is it is it is important to say that, you know, we were talking about the inflation and in, in ocean freight and so on. Obviously, I said it's not only ocean freight, right? It's throughout the entire supply chain um, or physical supply chain, let's say, plus uh, and you may have read about this in 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 the news, or you may even have seen it or realized it in in, in your local grocery store that uh, a lot of cost for 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 materials, for commodities have also gone up at the same time as as has the, the you know the cost for energy, right? Everything went up, so it's not only it's not only ocean freight that went up, yeah
1: we've seen that yeah general business, right? so we we see that all forms yeah. of inputs are are increasing in costs. We have this across the board inflation, but particularly in the US, but, but really globally as well. Uh, and I could understand how that would relate to some of the rise, but 100 you know, to 800% in this time period, that's, that's, that is a story in and of itself around ocean freight. Now, let me try to recap what we've heard until now. You're saying that supply chain owners, procurement uh, professionals, they will be experiencing a 100 to 800% rate increase right now. That's a yeah. pain. And that this pain really relates back to the pandemic as its root cause, yeah, and that the mechanic of how it relates back is that first China so the global factory world's factory uh first China was had the pandemic, and that shut down factory operations uh at the very beginning, so supply dropped then the of course the pandemic went to other places that their uh demand dropped uh the operators, the carrier operators took capacity out of the system yeah. in reaction to this new world. And then uh, demand went way up faster Sorry, went up faster than expected in places like the U.S., and supply just wasn't there. I mean, it wasn't there in the factories, but it also wasn't there in ocean shipping, uh, so carrier capacity, and that, that we're still working through the backlog of that surplus
2: demand. Is that, is that right? That's correct, yeah. In a, in a nutshell, that's, that's, I, I think that, that, uh, that, that hits it on uh, quite well. Yeah, that's it.
1: So essentially, we have a situation that's painful today. We know the approximate cause for it. Uh, but what I'm hearing you say is that it, it kind of sounds temporary. Like, to me, it, it sounds like this is something that will resolve itself given time uh, as demand either comes down or supply eventually catches up. I'm wondering if there's anything else here that makes it a fork in the road moment, where the industry
2: just won't be the same anymore
1: because of this. Yeah, well, that's <clears throat>
2: that's the million dollar question, I think. Right. So, you know, that's the challenge with forecasts, especially as they relate to the future. But, um, you know, I tend to, to, at least, I try to be a realist on on these things. So, um, so what we what we will be seeing, I, th- I think, in the future is. Um, you know, c- carriers have, you know, what they've done uh, last year in terms of taking some of the capacity out um, as, as demand just vanished almost, right? Um, they've they've done this before in order to, let's say, manipulate the market in their favor, right? Just, you know, re- reduce supply, you know, just to keep ocean freight rates, you know, coming to a level where they could possibly make a profit. Mm-hmm. Um and and they got quite good at that. Um, and if I say quite good at that, then I mean, you know, they can do it very quickly. They do it very professionally in a very structured manner. So I believe um, this is here to stay. Um, I, I also believe that the current demand um, profile that we see, again, predominantly in North America, uh, I, 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 to be honest, I, I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's sustainable. Um, So, it will, you know, that that is, I think, North American consumption or demand will come back to, you know, what we may as well refer to a normal level uh, of consumption, I believe. Okay, then there is still a little bit of a gap because inventories in North America are also very low. uh, You know, so I'm I'm sure that, you know, especially in e-commerce and so on, you know, people will be looking at replenishments a little bit. So. So that will that will keep this demand curve pretty high f- for a continued period of time, possibly even after demand uh, you know, kind of normalizes. Um, but it will normalize, um, and I think in in Europe we have to, um, um, you know, this demand peak or, or strongly increasing demand is something we we either yet have to see because we haven't seen it, uh, or it is not or it is not coming because. You know, people in Europe will spend their money on other things, such as travel, uh, much more than 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 Americans. So, oh, I, yeah. you know, so it's, not on the physical goods. It, you know, exactly. Uh, rather than um, uh, you know buying stuff, let's say. Um, so, yeah, so it's essentially a service
1: economy. You're saying that the concentration of the buying in Europe is around services rather than the physical cha- physical goods.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, that's that's what I believe. Why do I why do I believe that? Is because people have also in Europe. People said, you know, we had so much time home office, so they were doing home improvement and stuff like this as well. But maybe they do it differently. But you know, we we simply haven't seen this this explosion in demand. So, uh, quite frankly, if we see it. If we see it going up, I mean, apart from the normal seasonality, you know, for Christmas or so, um, that I, I I don't expect it to be as as wild, so to speak, as we have seen it or are seeing it in North America, because again, because they will they will spend their money uh, in, in in more in the service sector. Um, so back to the carriers. So I think you know, um, very disciplined capacity management is something that uh, that carriers will do because. Um, you know they've never had anything like this before uh, i think ever really um you, you know they are coming out of a decade of essentially ebb neutrality i mean there was no real money made um in, in in global liner shipping over the last decade um at least not to any shareholder satisfaction um and um, is so I, I I truly believe that you know they can't retain rate levels that we see at the moment, um, but they will definitely do whatever they possibly can uh, to absolutely prevent the market to going back to where it was pre-COVID, uh, where we had an overcapacity, over, you know, overcapacity environment, and people were barely making any money, and and they will do this um, through through very diligent capacity management because that's essentially all they can do. Right. It's an asset, asset heavy industry. Right. So that that was a. You, but
1: you mentioned something that's very fascinating. Anybody who's been around this industry over the last uh, 10 to 20 years would know that carrier asset owners have really not turned the kind of profit that anyone expects. They, they simply have not been uh, a profitable business and I don't mean cyclically, I mean over the, the long haul, right? Uh, we can come back to the discussion of how intentional that was, but but the reasoning has always been the same. It's As you said, It's the only thing they can control is capacity. It's a supply-side-driven uh, 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 question about the, the profitability. They've simply added at, at kind of every key moment, they've added too much supply, right? They've, they've built too many ships, they've built larger ships, and they've uh, brought as a result they brought the rates down. Now, when I look at a market conditions like they are now, rates are 100 to 800% higher and goods are still moving. I sort of wonder if leadership in these businesses or the backers of these businesses are just going to say hold the rates. You know what why if they can ship it 100 to 800% higher now, then they can keep doing it next year and the year after and and so on, uh, right? If there's people willing to fill the boats at those rates, so I guess a question is, can, can, can they not do that? Why? Why couldn't they do that? And then, if they're not going to, if there's something that's going to knock the rates down, are they going all the way back to where they were pre-pandemic, or is there going to be something in between, something north of
2: that? Well, I, I certainly believe that they will end up north of what it's been pre-COVID. That's uh, that I'm I'm absolutely convinced. Um, but I think. Uh, they, they can't and neither do they have the aspiration um, to to maintain current uh, rate levels in the spot segment, as I've mentioned before, right? Very important. So these, uh, these $15,000, $18,000, $20,000 rates that you read about, it's only a market minority that actually pays that, um, uh, or it, it's just a part of, of the market that pays that. So by all means, um, no that they will be north of what they paid um, or what the market level was pre-COVID. And frankly, it also has to be north of what uh, a common rate was pre-COVID. Because as I said, you know, uh, shipping companies coming out of a decade uh, of essentially uh, no significant profits. So, and and they need to invest into modern tonnage, into modern equipment, into uh, sustainable technology. So all this has a cost tax. So, you know, frankly and and i was on the other side of the fence so i you know i took advantage for almost a decade of these low prices but but i but at the same time i knew and i also mentioned it you know that essentially this is not sustainable i mean we are in a in an environment where where money is available at essentially no cost right so they were all, always able to kind of renew their their ships and everything um and, and they did so much more than they would have had to but 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 of course you need to you need to generate a profit and and you know who wouldn't have that aspiration but but these uh, and and, and I'm, I'm sure shipping executives uh, would agree that of course these uh, the, the the rates that we are seeing right now uh, they have you know they're just a product uh, or, or a consequence of the current reality it is not where where um and I think there is a little bit of exploitation as well uh, frankly on the carrier side but but uh, but they are not realistic. These are not realistic rates. You know, once things kind of come down a little bit, um, you know, will it be, you know, fifty percent higher than pre-COVID or whatever? I, you know, I don't want to. I, I don't really want to shoot a figure. Um, but it's going to be clearly higher than what it was uh, pre-COVID, I'm sure, because this cycle, um, you know, that one. You know, some folks may 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 suggest that this cycle that is. Uh, becoming visible again now, so lots of income. You know, market is in the favor of the carriers. They have a lot of cash. They go out, buy new ships, creating overcapacity. With you know, and and the lo- the logical consequence should be that uh, rates go into a free fall. This is what they will try to prevent because this is what happened over the last decade or so, right? It was always the same cycle, and 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 obviously this this is not sustainable. So I don't yeah. think it will
1: happen. One of the things I I think though to mention is that. These, these organizations, these asset-owning carriers, when they were uh, putting out more capacity, driving, as you said, uh, prices into freefall, you know, they, they knew that they were driving the prices into freefall. They were essentially playing a war of attrition, a price war, in which uh, they would put out larger ships, you know these, these huge ships, uh, modern ships that would have lower fuel costs, for example— and, it, and then drive the price down towards the you know, the barely break-even point on those ships even, and piece by piece drive out their competition, either truly putting them out of business or uh, making them amenable to, a, yeah, yeah. to an acquisition, right? So yeah. the, when I look at this, I, I kind of wonder, can't they just go back to that strategy? In other words, imagine World War I, an, another war of attrition, I kind of imagine if they had had a break where everybody for 18 months could sort of rest and feed and put grains into their granaries and recruit fresh troops and re-equip, they might have just gone back into the trenches, you know, 18, 24 months later, restocked and started the war of attrition all over again. You know, do, do you see, I guess the question to you as an expert in the domain is, do you see anyone else coming out? Uh, Now, any of these players coming out and out of the gates, out of this cycle and simply going right back into the war of attrition to to increase market concentration and drive out their competitors?
2: Yeah, well, I I think that's a good question. I think nobody has I I nobody I I don't think anybody has that strategy. I mean, the fact of the matter is that that large cash and profit heavy or cash heavy carriers it could sit it out longer you know if if market dynamics went clearly against them again in say whatever a year or so right so they could they they would have the capacity they would have the strength the financial strength um, to 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 sit it out uh, at least longer than than others of course you know that I think that's the same <laughs> in any industry um, so this is not this is not specific to 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 ocean shipping really uh,
1: but, but what you're saying is that even these companies that previously were in intentional price wars, now that they've restocked their capital, you don't think they're going to resume that? No,
2: I, I, I would no, I don't think so, and I would not hope so. I mean, that that that's a, I, I think that that that's a very, you know, maybe that would have been possible, you know, 15 years ago or something, but but or, or 10 years ago, but I don't think it is, you know, because they already they already they already came out of a phase of of unprecedented consolidation, you know. If you look at if you look at a couple of years back, and you see you know the carriers that were that were around during uh, during those times, and um, and if you look at the market um, structure right now, you have you know the ten, top ten carriers have have more than eighty percent, clearly more than eighty percent market share. So, so I think uh, I think the appetite you know among among these top ten, um, the appetite and the opportunity for more M&A, uh, I, 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 question, but that is my personal opinion. Um, so I, I don't think this will happen no matter what, uh, uh, some executives, you know, may think or strategize for, but I don't think this is hap- this, this, this is happening. But again, you know, my, uh, my, my opinion, it, because it would be a, it, it would be a capital destroy or, or a, a money destroying strategy. Right. Um, it, it will come at an incredible cost tax. So, and that's what I said before. I think that is what they will try to prevent. I mean, these rock bottom rates, you know, that barely uh, break even uh, or even loss giving. So, I mean, there there is no incentive to to allow the market to, you know, to go back to those levels again. And I think, um, you know, if we, if if I may, you know, there is okay, there's, there is there there are shipping companies and and they are controlling capacity. But I think also the the market, um, you know, the, the market is two things: the shipping companies on the supplying side, and it's the shippers um, on on the demand side. So, uh and and shippers really had the upper hand over the last decade, quite clearly. Uh, I had it, and I, you know, I was there. I know exactly what I'm talking about. And and I think, and I think those days are also counted. Um, so I think the relationship between shipping companies and and shippers uh, will also evolve as a result of this. Of this pandemic, um, because you know, and, and we need to focus a little bit on the demand side here as well. You know, what are shippers doing to to deal with the situation? What they, what have they learned? Um, uh, what lessons or, or what experiences have have they made over the last year year and a half? One could say, and and you know, how is that implicating their future strategy? So, um, and I think that there was some some recognition. And despite these whole rates, there is a lot of recognition and understanding also out there on the shipper side that that obviously uh, shipping companies should not return, and it's difficult to return to business practices, um, you know, that were seen uh, be, be before the pandemic, because shippers were part of the problem, right? So, so they will have to they will have to come out of their shadow, step out of their shadow, and, and beef it up a little bit as well in terms of their business practices.
1: So, if I if I recap this, if I try to try to paint a picture around what you've described. You've got an industry with acute pains right now, root cause in the pandemic and an imbalance mm-hmm. in supply and demand. Uh, but And it's producing bumper profits for the operators, maybe oh. not for the forwarders, but for the asset-owning carriers. But y- you think that what's going to happen here is, is we're not necessarily a fork in the road. It's it's going to simply be part of the evolution of the industry,
2: yeah.
1: And that what's going to happen now is we're going to arrive at at kind of a new place, not this place forever, not go back to pre-pandemic, but something in between.
2: Yeah, I think you know one one lesson. If I if I can just chip in there, I think one lesson really is um, that that people on the demand side, uh, so shippers, supply chain leaders, uh, they have been reminded how. How can, I, how can I say, how, how sensitive the network is and how important ensuring supply is, right? So, you know, the last decade was purely a focus on cost, cost, cost. And if, 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 if this crisis has done one thing, um, among other things, but one big thing is it brought global trade and transportation on page one. So even the you know the ordinary dude walking the high street knows about this you know the ever given Suez event and how it impacted global trade and what the market dynamics were following that event. Um, so uh, I, I think there is much more awareness uh, within uh, within supply chain uh, leaders or among supply chain leaders that uh, you know what is happening in this in this industry, how critical and crucial it is. Um, you know, maybe than you before, but but now over the last uh, ten month or so, they were painfully reminded um, of of how important what role shipping, container shipping, plays um, in 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 their business, and and I think that that will also lead to um, you know more how can I say more market uh, related and realistic behavior going forward. And if not, shippers will also be forced into this space a little bit. And and, and, and there again, the shipping companies will, will will try to, you know, to use the momentum to not allow shippers to do or act um, as they have in the past, pertaining to forecasting, no shows, um, special terms, free time, all these kind of things. Um, I think those days where you could just write up your terms and conditions as an international shipper, and every shipping company would accept those. I think those days are over, and I think supply chain leaders will, will realize that, or have have realized that.
1: Oh, that's a super fascinating point. You know, regardless of where the rates land, just term and condition changes could be the move, True. right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I I'm just now going through my mind. I'm thinking of all those terms, those those demurrage days, the uh the free days, the. Everything, all all these these little nuancy terms, which you know, we think of as bilateral things, but actually overall create really systemic problems on the on the supply side. Just make it very very difficult to have a optimized network, and a change in that would be well, I'd be foundationally uh, shifting the ocean uh, market in ways that probably outsiders don't understand, but insiders would would realize. Oh wow, that if we could standardize that stuff and make them. Uh, frankly, more advantageous to the supply side optimization could be huge, but I'm just having a hard time even imagining what the freight market would, would look like without all of these niche bilateral agreements.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely, and I think that's where you know procurement leaders are scratching their heads, is uh, because you know <laughs> it takes quite some time, you know, to change your attitude, right? And and let's not forget. Shippers are coming out of a decade where they had the upper hand, right? And and I'm perhaps simplifying a little bit, but they could ask for anything and everything, almost, right? Uh, of course, they would have to agree on the rate, but otherwise, uh, it was a pretty free world out out there. And 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 I think, um, as I've mentioned, I think those days are, are over, and people. Um, and I'm sure, you know, the larger the companies and the more dependent they are on, on global ocean transport, they're already starting now, actually, I know this from some of the clients that we're talking, they are already sitting down now, or they have started already a month ago to to strategize, uh, you know, for their go-to-market strategy coming, you know, Q1 2022, right? Um, uh, and and so, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be challenging, it's going to be very, very challenging and well, not to say interesting, but that's just, you know, that's putting it very neutrally, so to speak, right? But, but nobody has nobody has experience in, in a market environment like this on neither on, on side, right? So this is new f- to people. This is, a, this is a black swan event in itself, one could say, <laughs> a commercial one.
1: Okay, you, see so you paint an interesting picture. You, you, you paint a picture in which the supply side really uh, increases in strength uh, relative to uh, procurement, right? So freight procurement... And that one of the ways you see that playing out is uh, a more active attention, kind of novel attention being paid uh, to, uh, from procurement towards the, the needs of the supply sides so rather than just dictating their own terms uh, at, at, at market rates. They're, you're expecting a sort of a normalization of terms, um, as well as rates, frankly, ending up at a, a higher level than they were pre-pandemic. Um, and you said earlier that you don't think any other companies are going to return to their their, their price aggression. Yes. In the absence of a price war, uh, you still don't see that those those individualized terms will be the way that uh, people will be competing. Instead, it's going to be actually a, a shift. Instead of competing for the demand, there'll be a shift to sort of optimizing the supply uh, through uh, through things like you know, normalizing contract terms is that right
2: yes these are these are some points these are some points I mean obviously there are many many others right but but these are definitely these are definitely some points that I think um, uh, people will, will will have to confront and, and and find a mutual relationship right and all, one could also say a couple of relationships will probably need some repairing. Um, before they sit at the table again <laughs> to talk about the future, but but yes, absolutely. I you know that's what I that's what I believe. Yeah, it's going to be um, uh, it's going to be a, a new reality um, in in Q one next year. A little bit comparable, perhaps, with already you know what people already experienced this year because there was a contracting season during Q one this year also. A lot of a lot of contracts had to be renegotiated. Right. Because uh, the, the contracts were not sustainable. The carriers didn't have they hadn't kind of found their space yet and realizing like, hey, you know, this is the new reality. I can do things that I could never do before, at least not the last 10 years. So there was, a, you know, a lot of relationships were damaged, but a lot of ca- contracts also had to be renegotiated um, uh, during Q2. Um, and, and, and I think, yeah, coming the next contract season, um, i think you know some of the procurement leaders will be much more devout so to speak as they as they sit together hopefully they can sit together uh, and if not uh, by video conference as they talk uh, uh, business for for the shipping season 2022 2023 right so yeah and and finance finance managers okay. too
1: yeah l- l- let's let's transition last question here i want you to think about uh, somebody in the industry so I'm always wondering for myself anyway what's the play what's the play from this moment What, how do you, how does someone become a hero in their organization or in their industry out of the conditions that they're in front of them so let's think about somebody specifically listening to the podcast who might be uh, in a shipping organization uh, procurement or, or operations the other one mm-hmm. or someone who's in a free-forwarding organization probably more in leadership or sales and what kind of coaching or mentorship could could you give to them what would be a a tactic or a play that they might think about bringing to their organization uh, in order to become a hero there in order to uh, really accelerate their you know their career their you know, their standing in that that organization what what are some of the recommendations you have
2: right uh, that's a <clears throat> that's a very good question. I think those who and this sounds a little um, a little strange perhaps. but but those who control their business the best um, will be the, the winners. Uh, what I mean by that is those market participants, those shippers, importers and exporters, that um, are able to, to manage their business the best in terms of forecasting, in terms of actually delivering what has been committed, in terms of uh, how can i say managing that that contractual relationship with shipping companies and and those that also manage their operations the best um those will be those people will be the happy dudes um or oh, well happy but but they will have uh clearly they will have a, an advantage Jonah, over those who don't and, and and there are many who don't because again they they never had to live with with this degree of discipline everybody always said you know yeah it's very important to have the relationship we always try and so on and so forth but but uh, now you know the, the shipper will be much more accountable uh, i could say going forward than than they have been in, in the past so uh, those who ex- excel in that in that new reality with with all that spotlight they will be on the winning side for forward as i i'm a little hesitant to 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 go into that because i i don't see frankly I hope I'm saying the right thing here but I don't see the role of the forwarder to evolve uh, that significantly because the you know I, I don't see their role changing why should it change it's just new market dynamics that we see but the role of the forwarder uh, is, is is still there um, but also there I believe the better they manage their business the um, you know, the, the the better they will be, the the better they will be positioned to 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 handle the next contract season or the the immediate future, the midterm future, let's say. I, that probably doesn't answer your question uh, entirely, but that's at least my first thought uh, on you know what comes to mind.
1: Well, um, okay, let me let me play it back to you. What yeah. what I hear you saying essentially is that the uh, the separating criteria, the defining criteria between those who will have. Uh, played this market situation well, and who didn't is how active they were. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so essentially, you're saying that uh, the folks who are going to come out of this with a strong CV, strong resume, uh, description of how they, you know, what what they did in 2021, are going to be people who were forward looking, who weren't reacting simply to the the failures of their uh, procurement or or of their relationships with. Carriers and operations, but they were looking into the future of and and taking measures for that.
2: Well, yeah, I, I think you can only fix. How can I say? It? You can only fix the future if you are aware of your 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 gaps in the past, right? And and what they meant to your business. And you mentioned the CV, so I didn't mean this from a career management perspective, but I mean this from a business success uh, perspective. And um, uh, obviously, in you know, if we talk about this industry, there is a there is a very, or ought to be, a very cro- close relationship between procurement and, and, and the folks in, in uh, you know, the physical supply chain, the people that, that execute. Um, and, and and there is a strong correlation. All the data, all the information, only the, the whole insights um, that procurement needs comes out of the operational business, right? So that's, uh, that's all the intelligence that uh, the procurement people need uh, to go to market and and to create their their boilerplates and their terms and conditions uh so you know call it you know it's all these buzzwords that i usually try to to avoid like um like insights like trans you know transparency like visibility like agility like resilience right so all this needs to be uh all, all this is is on the table of to maybe achieve some sort of resilience and agility, right? Because you will need both um, um, in order to manage or to weather the storm, so to speak, and to, to navigate and manage your business successfully. Also under these very, very difficult uh, circumstances. So it's it's a lot about capabilities and now and this is also stuff for, and, and, you know, this could be another call really. Um, we, we didn't talk about digitalization and what happened and how the people evolve and uh, but there is a, a, a lot of capability that is needed uh, to to really have a a convincing and um robust go to market strategy for the next shipping season so that's really what i see on the on the on the shipper side um carriers will be busy with you know trying to understand where is demand heading and and how do they and how should they position themselves and 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 how disciplined will on the carrier side how disciplined will will the market participants be with re, with regards to what we've discussed before in terms of capacity management because there is an awful lot of capacity coming into uh, this industry from at least 23 onwards so and that is not too far away um so you know, it, it's 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 a lot of things happening on 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 both sides of the fence, so to speak. There is also we haven't discussed this infrastructure terminals. You know what are they supposed to do, and what can they do? But uh, but you know, I just tend to focus on shippers and carriers at this uh, at this point in time.
1: Uh, this has been really fascinating for me. Uh, I'm sure that people listening have gotten something out of this uh, somewhere along the way. So I want to. Th- Thank you. Hopefully, we get to do this again, Johan. So maybe a year from now, we'll come back. We'll check the where market conditions left us, and, and maybe we'll be dumbfounded we didn't see the next capacity
2: crunch. That would be cool. Let's let's meet, you know. Let's mark our calendars in exactly one year. We we get together again, John.
1: Exactly. Okay. Well, until then, though, really, <laughs> really appreciate your time, and uh, thanks again for appearing on the podcast.
2: Hey, pretty, and thanks for having me. Really, really appreciate it.
0: Alright, that was our ultimate analysis of the global ocean freight crisis with Jochen Gutschmidt and Jonah McIntyre. I hope you found it as interesting as I did. If so, please consider giving us a 5-star review on Apple Podcasts. And please subscribe to the Logistics Tribe Podcast so you don't miss any of the future episodes. I'm Boris Felgentreer. Until next time.